Heavenly Father, as hard as this is for me, I'm asking you to search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. God, test my motives. Reveal to me my anxious thoughts. Show me anything in me that offends you. I want to see, I want to see me the way that you see me. So I can become more like Jesus. God, I ask you to search me. So we've been looking at the last couple of verses of Psalm 139. That's where this whole first series has come from of dangerous prayers. This is how it goes. It's Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me. In fact, you have probably been learning this along the way. You've probably heard it enough times. You got it close to memorized now. So you can even say it out loud with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, let me hear it, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And of course, that last phrase, lead me in the way everlasting, is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and from there, we understand that wherever you are, God has good things for you to do. But what we are going to do that we haven't done in the past weeks is look at the larger context of Psalm 139. These are actually the last two verses that we've been looking at. It's the culmination, it's the conclusion of this whole psalm. So we're going to see as we look at it more in detail that wherever you are, God has good things for you to do. So as I said, we're going to look in a little bit more detail at the entirety of the psalm. It starts out with this phrase, Psalm 139 verse 1, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Interesting thing here is that this is actually foreshadowing and echoing that first part of the prayer, search me. This examined word is the same word that is used later in the psalm for search me. You've searched my heart, you've examined my heart, and you know everything about me. And that's the theme of this first segment of this psalm. You know everything about me. It says, you know when I sit down, or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I'm resting at home. You know everything I do. You know everything I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. In this whole first segment, what the psalmist is doing is testifying that it is the Lord who knows him inside and out. He knows everything about him. And then at the end says, even knowing me as you do, you place your hand of blessing upon me. So what we learn from this first segment is that the one who knows me best loves me most. But let's not go over that. Let's not gloss over that too quickly. Think about when we get to know people. Usually when we get to know people, we put our best foot forward. We are on our best behavior when we are making our first impression. And then over time, you get to know them a little bit better. 
in time you appreciate them more, you find out maybe some good things about them, but you also get a fuller picture of who they are and you see some of their failings, some of their shortcomings as well. But when it comes to the Lord, he does not have that experience because he knows us inside and out. He could never be surprised by something that we do because he knows us. He knows exactly what we would do, how we would respond, what we're going to say. And think about that, that even knowing us better than we even know ourselves, knowing us more intimately than even our closest friends, knowing the worst of us at the worst times in our lives, he still is the one who loves us the most. And at the end of this section, the psalmist sums it up like this, talking about what it's like to have the Lord who knows you the best and knows you inside and out and be him, his being the one that loves us the most. It says in Psalm 139 verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. And the, the imagery here is that of a siege. You're surrounded by his presence. I love the way the Passion Translation puts it. It says, you've gone into my future to prepare the way. You see, we don't know what the future holds, but God does. And it's as if when we enter into that unknown, we find that he is already there. You've gone into my future to prepare the way. And then also, in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me the harm of my past. Some of us might feel like our decisions and our past, uh, decisions from the past and our past are always nipping at our heels. And he's saying, I'm going to form a rear guard to protect you from the past. So when you go into the unknown of the future, you're going to find that I'm already there. When you look behind you to see who's after you, you're going to see me as your rear guard. And then he sums it up by saying, you place your hand of blessing on my head. The idea there that whenever a blessing was bestowed on someone, whenever someone was commissioned for a role, they would symbolize that by placing their hands upon that person. And what the psalmist is saying is that God has his hands on me. He is always with me. He knows me inside and out and loves me more than anyone else. He's forming a rear guard to protect me from the past and he's going ahead of me into the future to prepare the way. But not only does he know us inside and out and love us more than anyone else, in this next section it talks about geography. And it says, I can't go anywhere that he can't lead me and strengthen me. Can't go anywhere that he can't lead me and strengthen me. It starts out with this rhetorical question. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. You can't escape from his presence. And it's very poetic language. We're talking about a psalm. It says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Up, down. If I ride to the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, east, west, I could ask darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. 
and darkness and light are the same to you. He uh, you know, think about the geography of where he was writing this in the land of Israel. To the east, the farthest extreme he could think of is wherever the sun rises, that's as far uh, in that direction that I could go. He looks to the west and he sees the Mediterranean Sea and this ocean that seems to go on forever. And he says, if I were to go to where the sun rises, if I were to go to the end of the ocean, I could not escape your presence. So maybe you are finding yourself geographically in a place you didn't expect or don't want to be. Maybe you expected to be at school, but now you're at home. Maybe you expected to be going to work, but now you're working from home. Geographically, you're just not where you want to be. Maybe you expected to be completely out of town. You were planning to move, go on a vacation. Whatever the case may be, geographically, you are not where you wanted to be or where you planned to be. And what this is reminding us is that God is still with us. And in fact, it says in verse 10, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. This is that same word that is a part of the prayer that we're going to pray a little bit later. Lead me, guide me, same idea, even there. See, you can trust that wherever you find yourself, even there, God's hand is going to lead you and guide you and he is going to strengthen you. The idea here is that God has a good plan for us. He knows us inside and out. He knows where we are and his plans are not thwarted by where we are, but also that God has good things for us to do in every phase of life. That's what the next section talks about, is the entirety of our life from start to finish. It says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Just like he knows us inside and out, just like he can find us wherever we are geographically, at every phase of life, he has good things for us to do. And this is applicable because you might be thinking, I'm too young to do the things that I want to do or that maybe God has planned for me. God can use you in this phase of life. For others of you, you're feeling like maybe you're past your prime and you're getting long in the tooth and a little bit beyond those prime years and wondering if God can still use you. And this is affirming every day of your life. God has good plans for you, good things for you to walk in. In this phase where you are going through something that you did not plan and did not want, God still has good plans for you. It's not a surprise to him what's going on in this phase of your life. It may be a surprise to you. It's not to him. It may be counter to your plans and desires, but God still has plans and desires for you in the midst of this. This is not a surprise to him. And this parallels the thought that we've been talking about several times since this has started from Ephesians 2.10 where it says that we are God's masterpiece. He is crafting us into his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In the midst of this, in this phase of life, whatever this phase of life is, 
He has good things planned for us so that we can literally, it says, walk in them. To take those steps every day, he's laid out those steps, those good things for us so that we can walk in them. But ultimately, in this next final phase of the psalm, it's all about choosing sides. It's good to know that God knows us inside and out. It's good to know that we can't escape from his spirit. It's good to know that in whatever phase of life we find ourselves, he has good plans and good things for us to do. But ultimately, this is only going to be the case if we declare for him. We have to choose sides. The whole next phrase and section of this psalm is a little bit challenging and a little bit jarring to our ears because it talks about hating and hating people, in fact. Here's an example. It says in verse 21, Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? Now, we understand from Jesus' teaching that we are supposed to love our enemies. We are supposed to pray for those who persecute us. And that, of course, is true. But remember that we are reading a psalm, which is a song. It's poetic language. It employs hyperbole and intensity. And, while, and it is going to be true to the feelings. It's, uh, you, you, there's emotion behind this. And what is the psalmist saying here? The psalmist is saying, because you know me and love me, because you are always with me, because you have a good plan for me from before when I was born to the end of my days, I love you and I want to be on your side. I'm going to declare for you. So perhaps a better word or understanding of this is not hate, because we think of hate in, in a relational, personal way, but it's opposition. If there are people that are opposed to you, then they're opposed to me. If you're against something, Lord, then I'm going to be against that because I'm on your side. The psalmist in this passage is declaring for the Lord and really paralleling something that we see in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul tells us to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. When you're following the Lord, you're going to hate evil and you're going to cling to what is good. What's the psalmist doing? He's declaring his allegiance and his loyalty. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. You see, all of the benefits of being a part of God's family and being included as a citizen in his kingdom are not automatic. They're not automatic. They don't just happen because you're born and you're alive. We are all created in the image of God, but we are not all the children of God. It says, to those who believed in his name, to those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Those who declare, I'm on your side, I belong to you, those who say yes to Jesus. So I'm going to encourage you to declare. If there's any question in your mind or you look back and you never can point to a place where you said unequivocally, I'm on God's side. I'm declaring for Jesus. I want the cross of Jesus to count for me. Yes, he died for the sins of the whole world, but I want his death to count for me. I need to be forgiven. 
and beyond that, I want to be on his side. I want him to lead me and guide me. I want him to be the Lord, the master, the boss, the one who calls the shots in my life. I'm going to surrender, turn over the leadership of my life to him. I'm going to pray, not only forgive me, but lead me as well. That's what we're talking about. And if that's you, and you're making this decision for the first time, declaring openly, publicly, for the first time, I'm with Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to text just the word yes to our church number, 603-225-2550. If you are following along on the church online platform, you'll see there's an opportunity to say yes, to raise your hand indicating I'm committing my life to Jesus. I would encourage you to do that. And then even perhaps more importantly, click the next button that says connect with us because we want to be able to celebrate your decision and resource you in your new life with Jesus. If you're following along on some other platform, text us, uh, but let us know because we do want to celebrate and resource you. But this is what we need to do. We need to declare. We need to unequivocally decide and declare, I'm on your team. And when we do that, and when we declare for God, wherever we are, God has good things for us. We're created anew in Christ Jesus. He's going to craft our lives into a masterpiece. No matter what your past, no matter where you have been, no matter what the trajectory of your life was in the past, God can write a new ending to your story when we surrender to him, when we say yes to him, when he is our Lord and Master. And so since we believe that wherever you are, God has good things for you to do, and we're going to challenge ourselves to pray this prayer, lead me. Lord, I want to follow in your direction. I want to go where you want me to go. I'm surrendering the direction of my life to you. Let me just suggest some practical ways that I think that that's going to be lived out and the practical ways that we as a church can live them out. First off, I think he's going to lead us to Jesus. When you say lead me, he's going to lead me to Jesus. Talking about which way we should go, well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I've just unequivocally encouraged everyone to declare for Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. But in the larger scheme of things, we as a church have an opportunity to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus, and that's part of his plan for us. We get to participate with him in his redemption and rescue plan for the entire world. So not only is he going to lead you to Jesus, he's going to lead you to lead others, to point people to Jesus. And one of the best ways that you can do that is to, in the context of that relationship with others, encourage them to watch Cornerstone Online along with you. Every week, we encourage people to say yes to Jesus. And every week that we've been doing this on the Church Online platform, we've had people who are saying yes to Jesus. 
be frustrated about the situation, that's fine. But let's leverage this situation and this opportunity where people are alone, where people are searching, where people need purpose and need connection and are open to your invitation in ways that they might not have been in the past and may not be in the future. Let's leverage this opportunity and lead people to Jesus, invite them into what we're doing. And then he's also going to lead us to love others. He's going to lead people to Jesus and a growing relationship with him, but also lead, lead us to love others. Jesus said that love for others was the distinguishing characteristic of his followers. John 13, 35, by this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The thing that should distinguish us, make us different, make us stand out from the crowd, is our love for one another. And I'm challenging, I feel like this is the theme for this phase of our church's life in this season, to go deeper relationally. And all of this is counterintuitive. You would think we can't meet in person. There are so many limits on what we can do. But I believe that God wants us to make progress, to go deeper relationally, to make relational connections that we wouldn't have otherwise and to go deeper with those relationships. Maybe for you, that's reaching out to your neighbors. You may have lived on the same street for a long time and there are people that you haven't met and this is an opportunity to reach out to your neighbors. Maybe uh, it's picking up the phone when we're used to texting or messaging online to actually have a phone call, to go old school, to go 1800s instead of 2020s and get on the phone. However, you can foster those kinds of relationships you look at it as a challenge. How can I go deeper relationally, even in this situation? And also, counterintuitively, I think God wants us to make progress spiritually. When it's so easy to tune out from what's going on at church, people are tuning in. Where it'd be easy to say, oh, there's so many things that we can't do. Instead, we're focusing on the things that we can do. For example, our small groups haven't been able to meet in person. But every group that was meeting before is continuing to meet in some form or fashion, usually Zoom, online, something like that, even now. And beyond that, more groups are starting spontaneously because people are hungry for those connections. And that's the kind of thing that is happening. And I think that we are going to make progress spiritually. And I'll leave you with this last one. Uh, that is maybe an example of this. In the midst of this, distinguishing characteristic of Jesus' followers, their love for one another. We want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. We believe that we can make progress spiritually. I'm going to give you this as kind of the final challenge under that umbrella. In Philippians 2.14, it says, Paul, talking to the church at Philippi, talking to believers, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Grumbling is that onomatopoeic word. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Why? So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, 
children of God above reproach in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. If we go all out in reaching out and leading people to Jesus, if we go all out in our love for one another, if we say, I don't care what the situation is, I'm going to make sure that I'm growing relationally, going deeper relationally, that I'm making progress spiritually. If I do everything without grumbling and complaining, when in this situation where people are getting tired and frustrated and angry, I will stand out, I will shine like a star in the night against the black night sky. And that's what we are being called to. If we can figure out how to love others, to do everything without complaining or arguing, grumbling or complaining, then we're going to stand out and people are going to ask us, what, what's different about you? Why is it that you are able to uh, navigate this situation in this way? And you will be able to point them to Jesus. But if we're the grumblers and we're the complainers and we're constantly arguing, we're the ones that are frustrated and angry, then we're going to be dark against dark and we're not going to stand out and there's not going to be a difference and God is not going to receive glory. So let's do everything we can to do everything without complaining and arguing, to make connections relationally, to grow spiritually, counter to everything that you would have expected otherwise in this situation. So as always, I'm going to give you a chance to talk it over. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to take a screenshot. We'll throw this up full screen. These are just discussion questions that you can use to go a little bit deeper, to talk out with the people that are in your circle, in your household, in your pod of isolation, however you can uh, get together with others and talk through the application to this message. I really believe that wherever we are, God has good things for us to do. And throughout this whole experience, we began by talking about how God is in control. And while we feel like things are out of control, God is in control. And he wants to use this for his glory and for our good. And I believe that's what he wants to do. And now is an opportunity for us to counter to whatever you could possibly expect for us to go deeper relationally and make progress spiritually. Let's do this. Let's shine like bright stars against the back, black, drop, black backdrop of night and let's bring glory to God in the process. He wants to do this and wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, he has good things for you to do, good plans for you to walk in, so let's do it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that in the midst of whatever situation we find ourselves, you are with us, you are working for our good, and you have good things for us to do. Help us to be creative, to take the initiative, and we pray that you will lead 
us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.